This episode of PF Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts, retro t-shirts of legendary local businesses, both historic and current. Father's Day is coming up. Did Dad grow up in Cleveland, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Philadelphia, or Milwaukee? Head to homeshirts.com and pick him out a classic t-shirt. For Cleveland, for example, get him a shirt, Barnaby, maybe you watched that as a kid, the Cleveland Crusaders, the Cleveland Cobra soccer team. Again, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. Check out homeshirts.com. PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, the Midnight Swinger and a cautionary tale about making off-the-cuff remarks. And a buddy of mine said, I can't imagine doing a show for more than two hours. And I go, yeah, I don't think I could do it for more than two hours. Because I went, I went along the longest comedy show and he Googled it and found out that it was 40 hours. I bet I could beat that. We'll hear more from the Midnight Swinger and his record-breaking stand-up set in just a few minutes. We also have a brand new feature featuring Fangirl. It's a CSI crime song investigation. You'll hear more about it in just a few minutes. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Singer Mary J. Blige and her husband have been hit with a $3.4 million tax lien in New Jersey. Court documents show the Internal Revenue Service filed a notice of a lien on the nine-time Grammy Award winner February 7th. The couple's accountant believes the action was taken after Blige recorded cover versions of Taxman and T for Two. It's kind of a news-busted joke, isn't it? Although something's missing. Let me see. Oh, let me try this. Let me try it this way. I know. I know it's missing. The couple's accountant believes the action was taken after Blige recorded cover versions of Taxman and T for Two. <laughs> yeah, that's much better. The Boy Scouts have announced that they will allow openly gay scouts into the organization, but not openly gay adults in leadership roles. Closeted gays are still welcome. Handcuffed Amanda Bynes kept her head down, her face hidden by a platinum blonde wig as she was escorted by police from her New York apartment to the police van. Bynes appeared in court on Friday morning, and uh, we have a little bit of audio of that. Sit down, I am Judge Trudy. Now, uh, uh let's... wait, excuse me, you're the judge? No, I'm a bowl of fruits. <laughs> you're just a kid. Overruled! Bynes faces charges of drug possession and resisting arrest. And of course, uh, when the judge was finished with her case, she said, Court dismissed! Bring in the dancing lobsters! Shoppers in the U.S. will soon have more information about where their meat comes from after new federal labeling rules went into effect Thursday. The rules require labels on steaks, ribs, and other cuts of meat to say where the animal was born, raised, and slaughtered. The label will specify born in Canada, raised, and slaughtered in the United States, for example. Conservative lawmakers were torn on the issue, with some calling it excessive regulation and others wanting the meat to have a long-form birth certificate included with it. New Jersey, which launched the start of a summer season on Friday after many of its beaches were devastated by Superstorm Sandy last year, is getting support from neighboring states. Pennsylvania and Delaware have taken a hands-off approach to attracting tourists from the Jersey Shore into their states. To further help New Jersey's image, TV stations in Pennsylvania and Delaware have agreed not to show reruns of Jersey Shore. Veteran fourth grade teacher Ellie Rubenstein decided after 15 years in the classroom she had had enough. With the all-encompassing focus on standardized testing and administrators who only care about hitting the right numbers on the tests, so she quit. On YouTube. And then she drove her Rolls Royce off into the sunset. Because you know, teachers are all millionaires, as we know. 
Recently resurfaced inflammatory remarks by Abercrombie & Fitch CEO have the internet's outrage meter in the red. It all started when Robin Lewis, co-author of the New Rules of Retail, told Business Insider that Jefferies doesn't want extra-large and ex-extra-large in women's clothing because he doesn't want larger people shopping in his store. He wants thin and beautiful people. Oddly, he doesn't seem to mind deafening people, however. Okay, that's not a very good joke, um, but it did remind me of a really funny joke about Abercrombie and Fitch from a Cincinnati comedian named Kelly Collette. I'm just going to play this little blast from her set. I love the mall. My favorite store at the mall is a store called Abercrombie and Fitch because I still don't know what they sell. <laughs> there is just a billboard of a naked man outside of their store. So I always have a little fun when I walk by. I'm like, excuse me, yes, yeah. Do you have this in black? <laughs> yeah. Extra large. No? Still no? Okay. Uh. That's a funny joke. An 87-year-old grandmother took on billionaire Donald Trump, and on Thursday, she lost. Juror sided with the real estate mogul-turned-TV showman in a week-long civil trial focused on Jacqueline Goldberg's claim that Trump cheated her in a bait-and-switch scheme connected to the condos in a Chicago skyscraper he built. She's not glad she took me on because she lost, the famous executive said, laughing maniacally and stroking a cat. Oh, no, wait, that was his hair. And that's been Fake News with me. Time for a new feature on the tape recorder. Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to and enjoy is the Rock Solid Podcast. You can find that just by Googling Rock Solid Podcast. It'll take you to the Libsyn page. And they have a little feature they call, I think, a Law & Order song investigation or something like that. And as you know, uh, on television in both the United States and Britain and around the world, when a TV show works, you steal the idea. So um, Fangirl and I uh, have noticed a couple of songs that uh, sound uh, a lot alike, uh, particularly the one you're going to hear. So we have come up with a CSI crime song investigation. Of course, all CSI shows use The Who uh, as their theme song, so for ours we chose uh, You Better You Bet, which is a great Who song, and I tell you that for two reasons. One, because it's true, and two, if I tell you that, which is a critique of the song, uh, I won't get sued for playing it on the podcast. I found that out. All right, so, all right, crime song investigation. Here we go. Uh, Fangirl's with me. Oh, hey. <laughs> and uh, how'd you first notice this? Uh, did, which one did you hear first? Um. Well... If we're going in order, the first song I heard was Spontaneous Combustion because it's actually a song from my childhood that listening to it is like listening to the five-year-old self at my grandma's house. But then on our way to school, I was listening to Damn It by Blink-182 and my mom goes, isn't this the song from that My Scene movie? <laughs> and that's how this all began. Okay, so we shall, uh, I guess we will play the, uh, what they call the plaintiff first, which is the song that's copied. So we're going to play Spontaneous Combustion first. Uh, and this is from what Barbie movie? Jammin' in Jamaica. It's not Barbie. It's my scene. Oh, the my main character's Barbie, so it's easy to confuse. All right, very good. That's <laughs> Rookie it. mistake. Okay, thank you. All right, so this is spontaneous combustion, and the in the movie the band is called Urban Desire. Is the movie band on the CD that you can get of this? They are called Snuffy. Mm. 
Really? Yes. That's so funny. But um, or slushy, slushy, not snuffy, snuffy, <laughs> like snuffy, snuffy, snuffy is Lizzie Lou's stuffed animal. <laughs> um, slushy. But if you look up slushy, it's a completely different band. It's like some indie band from Chicago. All right. Anyway. Oh. I know. So anyway, here we go. Uh, spontaneous combustion, uh, urban desire off of the Barbie movie, My Scene Jammin' in Jamaica. Okay, so there you have that. Get a nice taste of that. And it uh, reminds me a bit of Nerf Herder. Uh, those are the guys that did the theme for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> amongst other things. Okay, so you still have that in your heads. Okay, here is his, uh, here's Damn It by Blink 182. <laughs> Okay, so what do you think, Hannah Ruth? I think that Damn is the best song of all time, which means Spontaneous Combustion is also the best song of all time. Okay, but I think it's, uh, I think Guilty is charged, though. With, I would think so. With Slushy, yeah. So <laughs> apparently what's Slushy, from what we can determine, is these are just a bunch of studio musicians that went in. Now, we don't know if they purposely ripped off Blink, or maybe <laughs> they you know, toured with Blink, or they figured out. Ah, like fans? Because every single band in the world was inspired by Blink-182. Blink-182 was inspired by Blink-182. <laughs> At the time that song uh, came out, would have been the early 2000s yeah. when Blink was riding. High. Yeah, so from there you album, go. I think. But let's let's try an experiment here. Let's uh, here. Let's uh, let's see how how they sound together. And that's uh, this installment of CSI Crime Song Investigation. And uh, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks with another investigation involving a Swedish quartet. <laughs> I'm doing it with a German accent. And uh, a British singer? British. All right. Okay. So uh, look forward to that. And thanks for helping out, Fangirl. Yeah. All right. And this is uh, uh, join us for another exciting adventure of CSI uh, Crime Song Investigation. Dave Scott, better known as the Midnight Swinger, has been entertaining audiences in Las Vegas since the early 90s. He tours quite a bit around the country and recently broke the record for the longest single comedy show. And here is our interview now with the Midnight Swinger. Okay, joining us on PF's tape recorder all the way from fabulous Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world, is the Midnight Swinger. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. No problem. Um, so, are you in Las Vegas most of the time still, or are you touring more? Because I know we haven't seen you in Cincinnati uh, for a while. It's kind of a, a mixed bag right now with the economy being the way it is. I do a lot of private shows and corporate corporate shows in Vegas. I'm doing cruise ships and 
And about five months out of the year, I, I do a, a select uh, run of clubs. I would say I'm probably more out of Vegas than I am in Vegas now. Okay. And where are you playing in Vegas when you are there? Uh, usually either uh, Riviera, Caesars, or the uh, the Orleans. Okay. Those are nice rooms. Yeah. So uh, I know I interviewed you years and years ago for, I believe it was uh, Cleveland Scene, but I've almost yeah. forgotten your entire backstory. So <laughs> where are you from originally? <laughs> uh, originally from uh, Queens, New York. Okay. And, yeah, uh, bo- bo- born in New York, born into a, uh, a Broadway uh, family of uh, Broadway entertainers. My dad oh. was an entertainer. I kind of followed in his footsteps. And uh, what, what did your mom do? My, my mom was a, uh, was a homemaker, but she was a really good singer as well. She never did as professionally as my dad did, but she was always very, uh, very good when it came to singing, instruction, and, and uh, teaching. So growing up, were you involved a lot in like you know uh, stage productions at school, or were you kind of a class clown kind of guy, or what was uh, what was that like? I believe it or not, it was both. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of drama, a lot of theater. Um, actually, went to college and have a degree in theater, but I was also the class clown. I was also the guy that was always looking to try to make people laugh, trying to get some, trying to do the jokes, trying to get people. To, I, I I learned early on that humor can go a long way if you do it correctly. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, so that's how that's how that worked. So I was uh, able to meld both, and I wasn't that annoying class clown that you just got sick of. Teachers actually seemed to enjoy my little antics, and that's like I said, because I was drama, because my background, they pretty much they pretty much uh, gave me a lot of uh, leeway. So, at what point did you get interested in doing uh, stand up and, and doing comedy? I was thirteen uh, when I uh, I saw a uh, an HBO special with Steve Martin. Uh, live at the Hollywood Bowl, I was just enthralled by what he did and how he did it. And I was like, wow, you can actually, you know, kind of be crazy and goofy and have thousands of people cheer you. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And that's, that's why I kind of got the bug. So, so at 13 years old, 1983. Where did the, uh, the, the Midnight uh, Swinger uh, come from, though? What, how did that develop? That was actually a nickname given to me by my buddy Kirk Nolan, who was a, uh, a fantastic entertainer in his own self. And uh, we were trying to come up with some sort of, I was developing this Vegas-y style show to take on the road. You know, trying, the idea was to take Vegas outside of Vegas and take it on the road, cruise ships, comedy clubs, and give people an idea of what Vegas would be like, you know, if you weren't in Vegas. And we were hunting around for names, and there's an old Mel Torme song called The Midnight Swinger. Oh, that's right. And... Uh, he started calling me Midnight Swinger, and one night I was introduced as the Midnight Swinger David Scott, and people were like, people just dug the name, so it just became the Midnight Swinger, and then it just became Swinger, you know, and we just dropped David Scott all together. It's actually kind of strange. So how long had you been uh, doing stand-up when that when uh, that transition took place? Was that early on? That happened in '99 um, when we made the transition to the when the Midnight Swinger. I was called into the magazine for the very first time, which was 1999, and it became a full-on character um, in 2000. Okay. Do you kind of feel like maybe confined by the character, or is it just, you know, that's just your stage persona, and like Dice has a stage persona, and, you know, other people that you don't think have a stage persona actually do? Is it just, you know, like that? Well, the Midnight Swing was more or less just a name, and, my, and what I was doing on stage was always kind of outrageous, and I was never one of those stand behind the microphone and tell jokes kind of comedians. I was always like, you know, there was always music, there were costume changes, there was always this outrageous type of, like, Steve Martin-esque comedy. 
because um, that's how I was, uh, I sort of looked at performing. And um, the name sort of like helped build the character even more. So the name actually gave it a little bit more. I was able to embellish more of my show because of the name change and because of the character. So, but I'm not, but I'm not that guy. The guy that you see on stage is not the guy you see off stage. It's, sure. it, it, it really is a character. It really isn't something that I, you know, try to emulate all the time. I don't, I, I couldn't stand myself. I was like that. So all the time. So, <laughs> so it's kind of a, it, 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 it's like, it's a character. Just like, just like any, just like anything else. You know, someone would do on stage. And when did it's you? Like, it's kind of like it's kind of like how the Steve Martin wild and crazy guy oh, character yeah. was. Mm-hmm. You know, and Steve Martin isn't like that off stage, but when he's in front of a camera, he becomes it, and that's I'm kind of the same way. Okay, so when did you uh, arrive in Vegas then? I arrived in Vegas in 1994. Okay, 94. 95, honestly, it was 94 or 95. I can't honestly remember. <laughs> I, made so, I made so many trips to Las Vegas well, yeah. that I forgot, I forgot when I actually uh, made it my residency. I want to say it was like 94, 94, 95 in that ballpark. So how did you land that, you know, coming off the road, being, you know, being a road comic and finding, finding a permanent home? Well, I was really never a road comic. I mean, I, uh, I graduated college and moved to L.A. Um, in 93. I was in L.A. for about a week when I won a comedy contest. And the winner became the uh, house MC at a place called The Laugh Stop and got a six-month paid, you know, MC spot. I was also the door guy. I also sat people, but I was the house MC for six months. So I was doing 12. And back in, back in those days, you did shows Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, one show Sunday. You know, she so was up to 10 shows a week. And that was just a great education. Um, and I went straight from that gig to um, working some great headliners that I met because I was just an MC. Um, I met some great headliners that took me on the road with them, opening up for them. Then I sort of just transitioned into being an opener, but becoming a very strong opener because I had these really great headliners teaching me how to become a headliner. So I never really, did, I never really did that whole one-nighter road dog kind of lifestyle. I always had a place to live. I was, I'd, I'd be on the road for two weeks, home for a week. You know, I'd be two weeks in like, I'd be two weeks in Seattle. And then I'd be two weeks in Tacoma, Washington. And, and then I'd be two weeks in Phoenix. And then uh, Tulsa. And then stuff like that. And then I'd be home for a, a stretch of time at, at the same time. So I never really did that whole on the road for a month, crappy one-nighters, bad hotels. You know, I never had, I never lived that lifestyle. So... So to be able to transition to having a place to live was actually not much of a transition. That was just always my life. So you wind up in Las Vegas in the mid-90s, and what happens then? It was hard. It was really, really hard. They were, and you think you go to Las Vegas, and you got all these, all these hotels and casinos, but every hotel and casino is booking nothing but you know, top-of-the-line headliners. You know, just, I'm, we're talking A-list headliners. You know, Jerry Seinfeld at the time, George Carlin, Andrew Clay, Chris Rock. And to try to break into that type of um, into that type of a field is almost impossible. And I ended up being uh, working at Valley's and just sort of learning again. And then I would actually go on the road and do funny bones and improvs, you know, and then come back to Vegas to the occasional show until finally I was discovered in, uh, enough to uh, be given my own show and give my my own shot. 
and uh, the HBO Comedy Festival, Lucky 21, probably was the, uh, and that was in 2008, probably really catapulted me in the Vegas scene um, because I, I did so well there. And I saw, a lot of people saw me, and what I was doing was so unique. Jerry Seinfeld's agent and manager saw me there. And he's like, oh, we got to get you seen. And I'm like, great, that's not what we do. And then that, that sort of the ball just started rolling from there. And uh, in the last five years, it's just been sort of nuts as far as like work, 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 you know, great clubs, great venues, and culminating with just uh, a few weeks ago breaking the world record for a uh, uh, longest individual comedy show. Yeah, you'd, you'd mentioned that in uh, your email. How, what, was, what was that like? How'd that come about? Well, I was celebrating my 20th year in the business. You know, I started... My first, pay, my first paid gig was 1993, and this being uh, 2013, that's actually 20 years in the business, and my agent and I were trying to figure out, you know, how, what, what can we do to, to celebrate it? And a buddy of mine, who does a podcast as well, said, he said to me, just, just, just off the cuff, I can't imagine you doing your show for more than two hours. And I go, yeah, I don't think I could do it for more than two hours. He goes, I wonder, I wonder how long the longest comedy show is. And he Googled it and found out that it was 40 hours. Whoa. And I said, I bet I could beat that. I just said so <laughs> flippantly and so off the cuff. I didn't think anybody paid attention to it, but my agent did. And my agent calls me and goes, I've got three clubs that want you to break the record at their place. And I'm like, I, this is December of 2012. And I'm like, well, you know, I was joking, right? And he's like, well, these, uh, I, don't, I don't think you were joking. And all of a sudden, it became this reality in January. I contacted Guinness. Guinness gave me a claim number and approved my attempt. And then for four months, I was like, oh, my God, I'm seriously going to do this now. Before I knew it, I was kind of locked in with commitments and money and sponsors. I'm like, how this get? It's like, how this get so out of control so quickly? And then I and I had so many people depending on me breaking the record that if I did not break the record, it would have been like this major deal. So I basically had to force myself to stay up and break the record because I wanted to quit. At 24 hours, I was passed out of my green room. I wanted to quit huh. so bad. <laughs> so did did you take breaks? For every 60 minutes I performed, I got a five-minute break. Okay. So, and you would think, and five minutes goes by really quick. That's oh, the yeah. crazy thing. <laughs> so, but um, but uh, it was it was uh, it was it was very very hard. It was very difficult. I will I'll never do it again. But it was very rewarding, in, in the same respect. And, and what club again was it that you? It was actually the, it was actually a casino. It was the Diamond Joe Casino. Ah. Um, and um, it was part of the, uh, ended up being part of the Comedy 10K Comedy Festival, which I actually was, I actually hosted it last year, and I hosted it again this year, and they wanted to make it a week-long festival. So on the Monday and Tuesday, I was breaking the record, and on Wednesday, the Comedy Festival uh, competition started, which I hosted. So I performed for 40 hours and 8 minutes, had, got about 18 hours of sleep, and turned back around and was hosting um, the next night. You slept 18 hours solid after that? It wasn't solid. I got about 11 hours of sleep, and then I was up for about seven hours. Okay. <laughs> eating. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, 40 hours, did you, did you do you know, everything that you knew how to do? Did you repeat some stuff? Did you do some stuff in a different way? I mean, how did you were able to get 40 yeah. hours? Yeah, I, I, the, the rules say that you can, you, can, you can repeat a joke every four hours. So I actually went 11 and a half hours before I repeated my first joke. Oh, wow. And, and then I started doing basically eight-hour sets. I do an eight-hour set and then repeat the eight-hour set. Okay. So I, do eight, I, do, I, did, I did eight hours, and then when eight hours was over, I just started again at eight hours until I got to 40 hours and eight minutes. 
And the yeah. audience would come and go because uh, did the audience have any records for watching a comedy show for 40 hours? Yeah, there's got, yeah, there's got to be a minimum of 10 people watching at all times. Okay. We had, uh, we had 265 people total came and watched. 11 people was our smallest crowd. 110 was our biggest crowd okay. over the whole 40 hours and 7 minutes. It was actually a lot of fun. Okay, so what is the, uh, the regular Midnight Swinger show like for folks uh, not in the know? What, are, what can they expect? Well, like I said, uh, they can expect this great Vegas-style show with comedy, music, singing, dancing, costume changes, high energy, lots of fun. You know, I don't, I don't do language. I'm not dirty. I'm not talking about sex and drugs and politics. The idea is have a feel-good feel night out. You know, they don't have to worry about, you know, oh, this comic's going to be preachy, this comic's going to be dirty, this comic's going to be offensive. It's just, I, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. My my job is just to make people laugh and make them feel good about the time they had when they were at the show. It's just a fun Vegas style event that um, people can uh, get the, get their heads around. As far as like, hey, we co- we come to the Midnight Swinger. What we're going to really see is just a fun night out um, of good times. So a taste of Las Vegas without having to go all the way to Las Vegas. That, that's the idea. The, the idea was to bring, bring Las Vegas out of Las Vegas. You know, that was, that was always the idea. Hopefully I've, I've achieved that. Okay. Uh, well, uh, see you in town next week and, uh, and uh, continue success to you and uh, hopefully catch you out in Vegas sometime as well. I hope so, man. I hope that'd be great. Yeah, make sure you come and say hi to me when you, when you come up to the show. Will do. All right. All right. Awesome, man. Well, thanks. Talk Midnight. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks again to the Midnight Swinger for being on the show. You can catch the Midnight Swinger in St. Petersburg, Florida at McCurdy's Comedy Theater June 5th through June 9th and Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Comedy Catch July 10th through 14th and in St. Charles, Illinois at Zanies August 21st through 24th. He is also periodically in Las Vegas, so you can check his website. That is themidnightswinger.com for more information. Kelly Collette can be found at kellycollette.com. Best way to find out when her dates are coming up is just follow her on Twitter at Kelly Collette. Easy as that. And if you go to rooftopcomedy.com, type in her name or really the name of any comedian you can think of, you'll find uh, a lot of clips of them, especially a lot of the up-and-coming people. Rooftopcomedy.com, check it out. Find some new and exciting young comedians there. Uh, we also wanted to give a shout-out to Ross Rants. It's a really cool website. It's um, kind of like doing what we do here, uh, a lot of funny stuff, some serious stuff, some political current event stuff. And uh, I commented on something he had written. He'd written this nice essay about uh, NPR's Planet Money, which we are both fans of, it turns out, but we are a little critical of with this T-shirt business they've gone into. Uh, you can go to RossRants.com and read more about that there. He gave us a shout-out. We are one of his favorite websites now. So thank you very much to Ross Rants for that. Uh, what other order of business do we have here? Oh, yes, PF Trivia Live, if you're in the Cincinnati or Southwest Ohio area, will be this Thursday, uh, May 31st at 10 p.m. That's right next door to Go Bananas at McLevy's Pub, right after the comedy show there. Come out and uh, play some trivia with me. And then speaking of Go Bananas, I will be in the Funniest Person in Cincinnati contest Wednesday, May 30th at 8 p.m. Please come out and support me. I need all the help I can get. Uh, doors are at 7 o'clock. Show is at 8. And what I always say, it's a chance to see like 15 or 20 funny people and me. All right. 
So the credits, as usual, uh, follow us on Twitter at PF66. That's me. Like the podcast on Facebook. Uh, just search PFT Recorder in Facebook for that. Music recorded, uh, performed, uh, written by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Uh, PFT Recorder logo by Dan Koble. Dan and Logan's podcast, Magic Potion, can be found in iTunes. And I believe that is all of the business we have for this week, other than to say so long and thanks for listening. <laughs>